Well, so good to be with you today. And uh, before we get going, I've got an invitation and a celebration to give to you. First is the invitation. Mark your calendars, uh, Thursday, February the 22nd. We're gonna be hosting another worship night uh, here at this location. So uh, all campuses under one roof. If you've never been to one of these, uh, you want to make it a priority to get there that night. Come early uh, to get a good seat. We expect it to fill up and invite somebody to come with you. Uh, second thing is I wanna celebrate the fact that we are gonna be moving our Midtown campus that has been portable, set up, tear down for the past two years. We're gonna be moving them into their brand new location at the corner of Keystone and East 62nd. I've got a picture of it behind me. This uh, former Marsh building, that's what it looks like now. And I just wanna look right into the camera and address our Midtown campus, uh, campus pastor Alex Diaz, that whole team. Thank you guys for your grit, your commitment. I know two years of setup and teardown is not for the faint of heart, especially in an Indiana winter. All right. And so we just want to come alongside you, celebrate this new facility and looking forward to seeing all that God's going to do um, at, in this piece of real estate uh, to affect people's lives uh, for generations uh, to come. And all of this is possible. This was part of the awakened vision, if you guys remember, was moving Midtown into permanent. So I want to thank you guys for your commitment, your uh, continued generosity that's making this a reality. If you have a uh, Bible, go ahead and get to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 is the passage that we're going to be camped out in here in just a moment. And as you're finding that and getting settled in, uh, the summer right after my second year of college, I got a summer internship at a church. It was in a different state and I didn't know anybody at this church. I just applied for the job and I got it. And so um, I, I was spent that summer with, I was kind of by myself a lot. And what made it worse was right before I packed up my car to head to this summer internship, the girl that I'd been dating that semester um, broke up with me. I know, you, you, thank you. I appreciate the empathy that I can feel from, from, the, from the room. But uh, it, honestly, like it was, a, it, it was heartbreaking at the time. It, it, looking back, it was a good thing because in the words of the great theologian, Garth Brooks, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And that was, I'm sure she's, I'm sure she's a fine person if you're listening. But anyway, so, um, so uh, I'm like kind of heartbroken, I'm kind of lonely. And there was a, uh, I'm gonna date myself by saying this, there was a radio program that I listened to quite a lot that summer. Um, it was uh, called The Love Doctor. I don't, I don't know why I listened to it. It was just part of the, um, you know, radio station that I kind of had on at the time, but I would listen to this thing. And you've probably heard shows very similar to this. It was, it was a shock jock kind of character and then a uh, physician that would, um, people would call into the radio program with their questions about love, relationships, dating. I think they even threw a few marriage questions in there. And the shock jock was there for like the entertainment value. Mostly he was just crass. And then you had the physician that was trying to legitimize it by trying to offer some answers. I, I don't know how good of a job he did. I didn't really learn much uh, listening to the radio program, but it brings up an interesting question. When it comes to love, dating, relationships, marriage, where do you turn? Like when you've got questions about those things, who or what are you listening to? In particular, when it, I think all of us want in that area of our lives, like a thriving romantic relationship, a healthy marriage. So the question is like, what makes a relationship or a marriage work? And why is it that some fail? 
I read an article, uh, you've probably seen something similar to this, but the, the title of the article was called Tips on Love from Those That Should Know. And they interviewed kids between the ages of five and 10. And you've probably read these before. I, the, here's three of my favorites that, I, that I've seen. Question number one is, what do most people do on a date? And Michael, age 10, said, on the first date, people just tell each other lies. And that gets them interested to go on a second date. And I would say, Michael, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Here's question number two. What is the best age to get married? <laughs> Ella, age eight, says, age 84. <laughs> because at that age, you don't need to work anymore. And both of you can just spend all your time in your bedroom loving each other. <laughs> so, I'm looking forward to my 80s. I just think that sounds like amazing. Here's the last question. How do you make a marriage work? Zach, age 10. Tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck, right? It's, it's like, Zach, you're going to go far in life. Now, I just want you to know, you know, maybe, maybe some of you are here today and you're just like, you know, not laughing because uh, I, I just want to speak to everybody regardless of your current relationship status. What I mean by that is I know that there's maybe a number of you that are kind of navigating the treacherous waters of single adulthood. Maybe you're kind of figuring out the dating scene, whether you're in high school, college, or, or beyond. Maybe uh, you're married, uh, whether you've been married a year or 10 years or more, and you're trying to keep things together and healthy for the long haul. And I think that regardless of your current status, the one thing that we can all agree on is that romantic relationships are challenging and crazy complicated. And even the best relationships still go through ups and downs and twists and turns. That's why we got to think of it like an adventure because all adventures have those kind of built into it. And, and relationships require what I would call a lot of intentional effort, uh, a lot of uh, what I would say preventative maintenance. And I would even say uh, just good old fashioned hard work. And that's one thing that I think oftentimes we underestimate I remember talking to a couple in my office a few years ago that was just going through some struggles in their marriage. I, I am not a counselor, but I am a pastor. And so I'm just trying to pastor them through this. And, and they, they were uh, sort of a bit of an impasse and they really wanted to make it work. But I remember them just kind of sitting back on my couch in my office and they both just were a bit exasperated after about an hour of conversation. And one of them just said through an exhale, it just shouldn't be this hard. And I just wanted to say, who in the world told you that? Hollywood? <laughs> Now, I want to make something very clear. I'm going to try to specify this throughout this series is that I'm not talking about um, abuse. I'm not talking about ongoing deception. I'm not talking about narcissism. Those would be outliers. I'm talking about inside of that. Like if you've got people that are, that are just human, like we're, we're honest, we're, we're, we're trying to do the right thing, but we're still hurting each other. We're still at a bit of an impasse. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some, some work. I, I do want to say that I know that for many, this subject is a source of a lot of pain, confusion, and anxiety. And you, maybe you came to church today or you tuned in and you had no idea what we were talking about today and then you heard what the message series was and you were tempted to turn it off or to walk out. And maybe even right now you're sitting there going, why am I staying? I don't really wanna be here for this. And it, you've just got a lot of anxiety around this and you're, we're gonna be in this for three weeks and you're just sort of dreading the next three weeks and for any number of reasons. It could be because maybe above your relationship Category, the way that you would describe it is, you're, man, it's just complicated. 
Or maybe you are single and you don't want to be, or you're single and you're okay with that. It's just that everybody else around you isn't. And so they keep making comments to you and you're kind of tired of hearing it. Or maybe you're currently like walking through a divorce or just came out of a divorce, or maybe you and your spouse have been drifting apart. I just want you to know, man, I get that. Like I really do. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to, to hang on and hang in with me over the next three weeks, because I really do believe that God has a word for you. I think that he's going to do, he can potentially do a supernatural work in your life. And more than any of that, I want to come back to this question. When we have questions about relationships, dating, love, marriage, where do we turn? And uh, God's word has a lot of wisdom on this. And I want us to look at God's wisdom on it because the wisdom of the world isn't working. And we need to look at what God's word has, has a tendency to say. Now, here's what has happened. I'm, I'm a child of the 90s. And so I remember going to youth group in the 90s. And there was like that what's called the purity culture. And some of us are products of the purity culture, which wasn't all bad, but it wasn't all good. And so some of us have kind of rejected what God's word has to say because we thought it was kind of prudish and old-fashioned. And, and so here's, I think, maybe kind of the misstep of purity culture is we just said, hey, don't do it. But we didn't really say why not to do it. I think what we need to do is we need to really look under, under the hood here to see that God really has our best interests in mind and there's a lot of wisdom. And by the end of the three weeks, what I wanna do each week is I just wanna give you some real practical help and I wanna give you some hope. And if by the end of the three weeks, if I haven't given you help and hope, then I haven't done my job. And so I just wanna encourage you to hold on uh, through this. In uh, preparation for the series, I came across this article from the New York Times. Here's the title. Why aren't more people marrying? And the article, I can save you some time from reading it. It was basically just saying that right now we're in a crisis because more and more children are growing up in single parent homes. Statistically, most of those single parents are, are women. And really this is sort of the after effects of the sexual revolutionary ideology that came out of the 1960s in which, you know, the mantra was, you know, you do you, follow your heart, don't be tied down, sexual freedom, have multiple partners. And society is beginning to realize how destructive this philosophy has been to people, relationships, children. Children are paying the highest price. And then societies at large. So society has realized this, cultures realize this. So the response, the article is saying, the response is there's been this shift here lately where we're saying to single adults, single parents, mostly single women, well, we'll just get married. And that's brutal for them to hear because it's not like they don't want to. And it's not like they haven't tried. And the article is filled with multiple stories of people searching for somebody, but they can't find anybody compatible, they can't find anybody that doesn't have like so much monu monumental baggage in their life to, to kind of sort through once they get into a relationship. They don't want to connect emotionally or they are unable to. They don't want to even remain exclusively committed. And it's left many people feeling frustrated, disillusioned, and discouraged. The reality is there are a lot of failed relationships and there are a lot of reasons relationships fail. And a lot of this is rooted back to before the relationship even starts. And its impact upon our world is significant. I was talking to a lady in our church a few years ago who had been married, gone through a divorce. Now she was kind of back ready to date again. And she was kind of getting on the dating apps. And she was describing to, to me and Lindsay her experience. And she said, there, there are a lot of men like on the dating app that will claim to be Christian. But then when she would express to them her boundaries, like that she had no plans to be physically intimate with them on a date, they would bail. 
even though they were Christians. And they, they would claim this, well, I can't date somebody if you're gonna deprive me of my physical needs. And with a sense of despair, she kind of looked at us and she asked this really pertinent question. What does it even look like to do relationships God's way? And man, what a great question. And it's one that I want you to uh, encourage you today to ask for yourself, regardless of your current relationship status. So the next three weeks together are gonna be centered around this fundamental truth. Don't dismiss it too easily. It might be simple, but it is not simplistic. Here's the statement. Relationships get better when they are done God's way. What I mean by that is when you take the wisdom of God's word and apply it to your relationships. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Please don't hear me say your relationships get perfect. They don't. I'm not saying, you know, your relationships are problem-free. I'm not saying that you're not gonna be without some pain. I'm not saying you do this, you know, God's way, you're gonna, you know, ride a tandem bike and, you know, sit in a hot tub shaped like a heart and just feed each other. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying, right? I, I am saying they'll get better. And the reason why I can say that so confidently, coming out of the last series where we were, we were in, where we talked about you were made in the image of God, the reason why I can say that is because God designed us, God designed relationships, God designed us for relationships. Therefore, he knows how they work best. So what do I mean by God's way? Well, if that's the foundational statement, this is the foundational verse for this series. I wanna encourage you, take a snapshot, look this up, write this on a little card. I wanna encourage you to commit this verse to memory by the end of the series. You could probably even do it today. Let's just read it out loud together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships, what if you were to take that verse and apply that over your dating relationships, your love interest, and especially your marriage? That I'm gonna bring the mindset of Jesus into this marriage relationship. Now what that verse is saying is that every relationship, for better or for worse, is the sum of the mindset that two people bring to it. So if you want a better relationship, it's gotta start first, not necessarily with behavior, but with mindset and behavior follows mindset. And then if you want a better mindset, then you've gotta model it after the mindset of Jesus. I mean, we just look at all the carnage going on in the world today and look at all the broken relationships that are out there. And statistically, it's about half of all marriages will end in divorce. And we have to think to ourselves, man, there has to be a better way. Like there has to be a better mindset to develop. So I'm gonna get super, super practical with you. Hopefully this will be really helpful for you, whether you are single or married. There's an actual love doctor, uh, a PhD level Christian therapist and author who has spent years studying the scriptures and the science on relationships. I love it when science and sociology catch up to the wisdom that's already in God's word. And Dr. John Van Epp has written a couple of books. This first one is uh, called Becoming Better Together. That's a, that's a pretty good book. And I love the second one, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, right? And uh, that, that's a good one. Some of you are like, I'm definitely getting that. And uh, he has spent over 25 years studying the science in God's word on relationships. And, and here's what he shows. He's developed this kind of visual uh, called the Relationship Attachment Model. And these are like the five bonds to every relationship. So there's no trust, rely, commit, and touch. So I want you to think about this going from like left to, to right. 
the, the relationship attachment model. Now, I just want you to leave, leave that up for a second. If you are single, this is right here the progression that God designed relationships to take in order to be healthy and fruitful. So what that means is you're, you're getting to know someone. That could be dating or that could just be developing a friendship, which by the way, I think is oftentimes underestimated and undervalued when it comes to romance. And maybe you've, this was part of the conversation of the girl that broke up with me that I mentioned earlier that you all felt really bad about. I know, you felt bad. And, and she, she said to me, uh, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me, which is a lie. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then she said, I just like you as a friend. And I'm like, no, I've been banished to the friend zone. Actually, that's not a bad place to go. It, you've got to build, a, every romantic relationship needs to be built on the foundation of a friendship. I would even say this, like if you're married right now and you're really struggling or just uh, um, nine times out of 10, if you can just focus on building the friendship again. Friendship is so important because romance, as great as it is, and I'm gonna talk about this in a minute, the chemicals, the dopamine, all the, the rush, you know, the butterflies, it's amazing. It doesn't last that doesn't mean you can't keep romance alive in a marriage, but it's just those chemicals will fade over time. What you're left with is a friendship. Uh, bodies will change over time. Nobody say amen to that. All right, but that, that's it. the bodies change over time, but, but friendship is the foundation. Kids come along, challenges, but you come back to the foundation. That's all based in no. So you get to know somebody and then through knowing somebody, then you learn to whether or not they can be trusted. And then uh, you learn from that. If you can rely on this other person and they can rely on you, then you make a commitment. And the Bible word for that is marriage. And when the Bible talks about marriage, it, it's talking about a covenant, uh, not a contract. A contract is I will if you will, but if you don't, then I won't. And that's what, that, that'll end the vast majority of marriages if that's our mindset. But this is a covenant which says, a covenant is what Jesus has made with you and me. It's a covenant promise with each other. And then the last dial is touch. If you're married, these five bonds, I want you to think about it sort of like faders on a soundboard. This is a way to monitor the health of your relationship. And so you're constantly looking at it going, do I need to make some adjustments? Do I need, are there any imbalances? If you're single, the word here is the word progression. That's the key word. That is so important. You progress through these stages. God is not a prude. He wants what's best for you. If you're married, the word here is balance. It's a balancing of the, of the bonds. And so this is when um, you go on a date night and you communicate. This is what you're communicating. How are we doing with the, with the levels? Uh, it's the tune-ups. It's the counseling sessions to kind of dial up these bonds. I want you to think about them as, as faders on a soundboard and the relationship is in harmony and in tune when these things are in balance, but when they get out of balance, and by the way, every healthy relationship will, regardless of your best intentions, the gravitational pull of life will be to kind of mess with the dials. And so you'll get in a busy season or you'll be traveling for work or um, you, you're going through some financial strain or some health problems or crisis with the in-laws. I know, no, nobody's dealing with that. And, uh, or, or, you know, whatever it is, and, you know, kids come along, you're not sleeping at night. Like all, all this stuff is gonna, so, so here's what happens. When the faders go down, like so when the no fader goes down because you're busy, then trust, rely, commitment are gonna go down. Then touch is gonna go all the way down. It's gonna bottom out. That's what's gonna happen. Um, and uh, 
And, and so oftentimes in our culture, when you look at this relationship attachment model, you maybe meet somebody for the first time. They friend you on Instagram. You're, you know, doing the scroll, you know, the dating app thing. You barely know them. You certainly don't, don't know how to trust, rely, and commit, but touch goes all the way up. And so we end up, you know, touching way earlier than we should. We're setting ourselves up for a lot of pain. Uh, USA Today polled uh, the younger generations and 48% agreed with this statement. It's okay to have sex before a first date. And a lot of advice, uh, dating advice says that uh, in the past has said that um, uh, you, you should not wait past the third date for any sort of touching or sexual contact. And here's what the dating advice will say, because then they won't think you're interested. Horrible advice. Um, some people may say, well, well, we have to touch because how will we know whether or not we're compatible? So, you know, we need to move in together. We need to have sex just to see if it works. Now, I just want to say, listen, what we know biologically, this is a biological fact that when you have sexual intimacy with somebody, when you, when you touch them physically, you get bonded to them chemically. That's a fact. So here's just a couple of questions. Do you think that it's wise to be bonded to somebody before you really know them, trust them, rely on them, and are committed to them and them to you? Here's another question. Do you think that it's wise to be emotionally bonded to multiple people? Now, I'm not talking about necessarily at the same time, but I'm talking about if everybody that you date, you're sexually intimate with, you get chemically bonded, and then it becomes more and more difficult to chemically bond to somebody, you're setting yourselves up for massive failure and heartbreak when you do eventually get married. And now all of a sudden, God doesn't sound like a prude. He sounds like he has your best interests in mind. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. See, part of the reason why this is so important is that um, prior to you developing an emotional, what I would even call an emotional infatuation, is you need to, um, before you do that, you need to have a necessary conversation around the faders on that dial with somebody that you might potentially date before you become blinded to some things that you can't see because he's so cute. You become blinded to some things you can't see because she's so gorgeous. And, and it happens to, 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 to all of us. And so you gotta do this before you develop any sort of physical bond. Most dating couples focus on their feelings of chemistry versus evaluating actual compatibility. So I'm physically attracted and I, I've, got, I've, I've developed this infatuation, which by the way, are not bad things. Those are gifts. Those are great, great things. They're just not everything. And by the way, they kind of blind us to some things. And knowing someone requires time and objective, thoughtful observation. And it's very difficult to do when you're infatuated with somebody. And so what this means is you gotta pay attention to who this person is under stress. Just observe, just get to know them. Um, it means, ladies, observing how he treats his mom. Because that's a pretty good indication of how he'll treat you 10 years from now. It means watching how they live out their faith and their values, or if they live out their faith and their values. It means spending enough time with them to where you catch a glimpse of who they really are when the mask starts to slide down a little bit, and it always will. One of the things I've kind of, I've, I've half jokingly, but I'm mostly serious, said with my teenage daughters is that when they are, when they finally meet the young man that they are ready to marry, you know, like well into their 30s. And um, 
I've asked them, I've said, hey, before he asks me for my blessing, which he better ask me for my blessing, uh, I'd really like to take him on a trip, just me and him, maybe a third world country somewhere. And uh, I mean, I'll bring him back. I'm not heartless, all right? I'll bring him back. But what I like to do is I just like to get him in a stressful situation just to see how he reacts. And then I'll come back and report that to you. And uh, I don't think they're really all that excited about me doing that, but uh, sounded like a good idea. See, see here's what I mean. Uh, there's a lady uh, named Dr. Helen Fisher who's done a lot of research on this. The University of London did a similar study where they scanned the brains of dating couples, like MRI scans. And this is kind of interesting. Here's a scan of a couple who's been dating longer than 20 months. That's their brain activity, seems pretty normal. But then they take those same couples and they had scanned their brains eight to 12 months into the dating relationship. And you kind of see not as much activity. And then the first few months of a dating relationship, they scan, same couples, right? Just, that's a joke, but it's based in reality. It's based in reality. And uh, um, uh, the, the pr here, here's what we know scientifically. The prefrontal, when you meet somebody and you develop an infatuation and an attraction, the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain responsible for critical decision-making shuts down. Did you know that? Harvard doc, a Harvard doctor by the name of Rich, Dr. Richard Swartz, uh, who looked at these brain scans, said this. He goes, when we are engaged in romantic love, the neural machinery responsible for making critical assessments of other people, including assessments of those with whom we are romantically involved, shuts down. That's the neural basis for the ancient wisdom, love is blind. You know this to be true in your life, don't you? Have you ever like, looked back at an old flame, an old relationship? And you're like, what in the world was I thinking? You weren't. That's the point. Now listen, I know maybe there's some dating couples, like you guys, maybe this is your first date. You know, maybe, maybe you're here today. Maybe, you know, you're not really into church, but you're into her and she's into church. So you're here and you're sitting together and things just got real awkward. Because the pastor just said, you're not thinking, you're not using your brain. And I don't want to offend anybody. Nobody likes to hear that their brain isn't working. So I'm not trying to insult you. However, I will say, if your brain wasn't working, wouldn't you want to know? <laughs> like, like, wouldn't you want to know that? Like, I would want to know that. And so I would just simply say, give yourself some time. Try to be objective. Involve others whose brains are fully functioning to help you see what you maybe cannot because you're blinded by infatuation. Listen to the Song of Solomon in chapter eight, verse four. It says, promise me not to awaken love until the time is right. And society would say, the time is right if you're attracted. And the Bible's wisdom on this says, no, 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 no. Don't rush through the dials. Now, if you're here right now and you're dating and maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, Aaron, we have blown through those first four dials. We've taken the touch dial all the way to the top. And maybe you're feeling a, a, a level of conviction. And, and I hope this isn't the case, but maybe even like a level of like shame. Uh, I, I don't want you to, to feel that. In fact, I would just simply say this. Conviction is a good thing. And God is a God of grace. And God is a God of redemption. And this is his kindness over you. This is him kind of like flagging, going, hey, you don't want to continue to go down this road anymore. There is a better way. And so if you're here today, don't wallow in shame or feel as if you're condemned. No, this is an invitation of God's grace to begin to do things his way. And so you just, I would just encourage you to do this. Just take the touch dial all the way down. 
put duct tape over it, lock it, put crime tape around it, buy a chastity belt, do whatever you need to do, man. Like just back up and kind of evaluate this. Um, uh, you might be going, well, Aaron, like how much touch is okay? Like how much do I really need to know about somebody to know what I need to know before I can touch them? And I would just simply say this, you decide ahead of time with this other person what the boundaries are and together, like you set up those boundaries and you discuss it before you develop an emotional bond or infatuation or you find yourself in an environment where you might be tempted to give in, like you can't withstand it. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. Here's just a few little tips. When you are with this other person alone and you turn on Netflix, stay vertical, not horizontal. You know what I'm talking about. Like keep the lights, keep the lights on. Like don't be alone. Uh, maybe rural late at night where you know things might potentially lead. Allow others to have observations, speak into your life, ask the hard questions. Can I just very gently but very pastorally address those of you who are living together? And I understand that maybe you were encouraged to do so by your parents. Maybe this is just what society has kind of said. You've said due to financial pressures, we need to do this. We need to figure out if we're compatible or not. And I'd say, guys, that's a test drive. And you're actually giving the most precious thing about yourself to somebody. Even though you have every intention of maybe making a covenant commitment to them, yet you haven't done so quite yet. And I know lots of couples who've lived together who they, they broke up and they take the wounding of that into the next relationship. It becomes so complicated in the next relationship. And I just very lovingly say to you, not, not to shame you, not to condemn you, make you feel bad. I'm just saying you're not setting yourself up for a healthy marriage with this person or somebody else. And it's not the fact that you're living under the same roof with somebody that's, that's bad. It's the fact that it's like sticking a piece of chocolate cake in front of a starving person. You're setting yourself up to give into temptation. Make the, make the difficult decision because it is an investment into your future marriage. Dr. John Van Epp gives us a couple of pieces of wisdom on this. He says, if you're dating somebody, how they treat you now is usually the ceiling for your marriage. What he means by that is when you're dating somebody, you're getting the best version of them. So the way they treat you now is likely the best that they'll ever treat you. So here's the question. Do you like how they're treating you? That's usually the ceiling. Here's the second thing. The bad in a dating relationship usually gets worse in marriage. Now listen, there are exceptions to both these things. I'm not saying that people can't grow, people can't change. I, I'm not, especially if they come to Christ after you begin to, to date. But the norm is that usually the bad, when left unaddressed, like if you bring it up and they get defensive or they deflect or they bring it back on you, they're not willing to work on it. It's just gonna get worse in marriage. But maybe you're afraid of being alone. Maybe you're like, maybe this is my last chance. Hopefully he'll change. And it, 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 it just gets worse. See, the most important decision you will make outside of your decision to follow Jesus is if you will marry and who you will marry. And guys, it'll make you or break you. And I don't wanna be like over, I don't wanna over spiritualize things. And I certainly don't wanna blame everything on Satan, but I do have to acknowledge that he's involved in this because if marriage is a reflection of Jesus' relationship with the church and scripture clearly teaches us that it is, and if behind every great, effective church that's accomplishing its mission is um, relationships and marriages that are not perfect, but they're honoring God and each other in the process, that's how God accomplishes his mission. Guess what Satan goes after? It's, it's a, he'll, he'll go after the marriage. He hates your marriage. 
And so he'll go after it with everything that he can. So why in the world would you give him any sort of a foothold in that area of your life? It's hard enough as it is. The number one complaint in marital surveys is this. The feeling of not being known or understood by one's partner. I just, like, I thought I knew this person. I don't even know them anymore. Like, we've changed so much. Like, we just feel like we've drifted apart. We've gotten so wrapped up in our careers. Or we, we've, we've been raising the kids. We just kind of feel like glorified roommates. And I'm just looking over to this other person. And it's like they're a stranger to me now. It's because we stop investing in the no dial. In Psalm chapter 139, verses 1 through 4, it says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. That's an amazing passage. Now, what if we took the wisdom of that and we really strive to know our spouse like God knows me. And some of you are like, well, I'm not God. <laughs> You're right. You're not. But what if we were to take that wisdom? Guys, think about this, especially the guys in the room. Like, you know, when you found that girl, you're like, man, I just met my future wife. You went on a hunting expedition is what you did. And you went after her and you were rolling out the red carpet and you were, you know, pursuing her. And then what, what I hear so many ladies say this. We, we get married and we've been married a few years. He stopped pursuing me. In other words, he stopped trying to know me. He's no longer a student of me. And obviously, the opposite is true as well. Philippians 2 verse 2 says, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another. Now, this last part is so, so important. Working together with one mind and purpose. And it, man, it's a struggle to know your spouse well. Part of it is because men and women, are, are, they are incredibly different and they're incredibly different in the way that they communicate. And most conflicts in marriage, and I feel like I can kind of safely say this, Lindsay and I will be married 25 years this, this next summer. And I feel like I, I can say this you know, from personal experience is that most conflicts in marriage are misunderstandings in which you say one thing, but your spouse hears another. You know what I'm talking about. There's, it's all complicated. So you say something, you get into a fight, and there's like what I think I said, but then there's what she thinks I said. And there's what I really said, but then there's what she thinks I really said, and there's why I said what I said, but there's why she thinks I said what I said, and there's how I felt about what I said, and there's how she feels about what I said. And does this make anybody's brain want to explode? Yes. And uh, man, it just makes you want to give up, kind of wave the white flag, get passive aggressive, but you can't. You gotta fight for understanding. You gotta fight for your spouse, not against them. And it maybe starts here with this. Your spouse's perception is your reality, whether you like it or not. Dr. John Van Epp says, you can validate your partner's perspective even when you feel you have been unjustifiably cast in a negative light. If our first response is defensiveness, it shuts down communication. So what do we end up doing? Like uh, maybe I say something somewhat absent-mindedly and it offends her. And, and so she says to me, I can't believe you said that. And instead of seeking to be soft-hearted and to really know her, to understand, I might say something like this. By the way, this is totally a hypothetical. I've never done this. This is just for illustration. I might say, I'm sorry you heard it that way. Oh man, that's passive aggressive. That's not what I meant. That's defensiveness. You're so much like your mother. Right, that's, that's just low, right? That's just low. <laughs> so you're not validating 
their, you can validate their perspective. Maybe, maybe they're, they were totally wrong, but you're still validating their perspective. What it does, and it opens up the lines of communication. Instead, you can say this. Oh, man, thank you for telling me that. I'm so sorry I came across that way. T- tell me how that hit you. T- tell me your experience. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Verse 4 can save a lot of marriages. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. I've heard that verse, and I've always thought, well, that's for friends and family and coworkers and What about your spouse? What about that person you're in a dating relationship? Take interest in them too. See, here's what I mean. You've got to to become a student of your spouse for the duration because your spouse is always changing. And if you don't continue to invest in knowing them, here's what happens. The gap just grows wider and wider and wider and wider. People do not get divorced overnight. It's a year-long process of, of drifting And then most affairs, most deceptions happen because you've been drifting. Um, Lindsay and I, we've been married almost 25 years. We started dating 27 years ago and she she has changed Uh, for the better. All right. I want to be clear about that. In fact, we were together this last week and I was working on this sermon. I turned to her and I just kind of asked her, I was like, here's all the ways that I think you've changed. Is this true? And she validated this. She, she used to be a night owl. When we first got married, she would stay up late into the night. I would wake up in the morning. The whole house would be rearranged because she would just stay up real late into the night. Now she goes to bed early. She's changed. She used to love little Debbie nutty bars. Can I get a good amen, right? That's a good woman right there. Uh, now she doesn't touch them. She used to love 1990s Shania Twain and Mariah Carey. That's what she listened to all the time. Now she listens to Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole. She's, she's an old soul. She's changed. My point is this. If I don't keep up with the no fader and continue to be a student of her, then, then the gap grows wider and wider. In a 17-year longitudinal study on divorce, the top two reasons people get divorced are these. We grew apart because we stopped talking. And when the no fader goes down, it affects every other part of the relationship. The average couple speaks less than 20 minutes a day compared to most people watch two and a half hours of uh, social media and over three hours watching TV. Here's a big mistake that a lot of couples can make is that when your kids are maybe between the ages of zero and 18, all right, um, what ends up happening is you become so busy raising them taking them to recitals, taking them to games, investing in them. And you should, you should. But here's a mistake a lot of married couples make. If you were to be honest, you know your kids better than your spouse. Massive mistake. The reason why is because eventually they are going to grow up and leave you. They will move out and your spouse is still there. And this is why many marriages end in divorce when the kids go off to college. Because you look over and you're like, you're a stranger. Because we stopped investing in the no. So here's the takeaways uh, for today. If you're single, you look at that relationship attachment model that I had behind me. Focus on knowing before you progress to the next step. If not, have a course correcting conversation today. If he freaks out on you, if she gets upset with you because you wanna have a course correcting conversation, that's a good indicator that they are not the one you wanna build a life with because when the storms of life hit, then their character will collapse. If you're married, man, just, just go back to the friendship. Go back to the no, schedule a regular date night. Get into a group. Fellas, 
men are so lonely in these days and you're dealing with stuff that you're not vocalizing to anybody and you need some brothers who will speak into your life and hold you accountable and pray for you and see a counselor before you need one. Like you don't wait for the engine to blow to take it in for an oil change. You take it in ahead of time. Same is true for your marriage and your relationships and move towards Jesus. Maybe today just go, man, like, like I, don't, I don't know if we can make this work because it just seems so complicated. And that's where today, what both of you can do is just recommit yourself, not just to Jesus, but developing the mindset of Jesus and bring that as step one into your relationship. And I realize that I have likely just opened up a whole can of worms. I mean, it's not lost on me. When I was driving in today, I, I thought, you know, I'm, man, there may be some awkward silence in the car on the way home today. This, might, this sermon might cause some arguments. It might surface some things. And, and we need the help. Can we just give each other some grace? And can we just invite the Holy Spirit in to just do a work? And even just right now in this space right here is... I just wanna have just kind of a sacred moment, a holy moment where before, maybe you're afraid to make eye contact with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse because of some things that I just said. Can we just have a moment here where the Holy Spirit meets you right where you're at and just softens both of your hearts. Some of you are here and you're not with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse because they won't come with you. And this makes you sad. And we just wanna just come around you as a church and pray over you and pray with you. And so we'll have prayer counselors down front and around the room. I know some of you may not wanna walk all the way down here. I understand that. But we'll have prayer counselors in the middle of the room. And let's just spend a little bit of time, just a few moments praying, um, asking God to do what only he can. Father, we come to you right now. And I know that this is a subject of great joy and fulfillment in so many of our lives and something that we want, you know, we want a soulmate. We want a, a romantic interest. We want a, a healthy marriage. And it eludes so many of us. There's all kinds of reasons for that. And Father, right now today, I just know there's, there's quite possibly a lot of hurting hearts. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do some surgery, bring some healing, extend some grace. I pray that everybody here would know that they're not a lost cause. They're not damaged goods, but you have a plan and a purpose. And it is not too late to begin to develop the mindset of Jesus and do this your way. God, what many of us need right now is a miracle. We need a miracle. I pray that you'd save some marriages. I pray that you'd transform some hearts, that you would purify us so that we can do this a better way. So meet us right now where we're at, wherever that may be. And we ask this in Jesus' name.